This is the Bible Book Club. And we're in Deuteronomy. Welcome Welcome to to the club. Last episode, chapter seven through nine, we were in Moses's Just Do It sermon. It's the Nike sermon of Mm -hmm. Moses. Just do it. There were three things that the Lord wanted the Israelites to do. Destroy the Canaanites. So God is going to give Israel victory over the Canaanites for two reasons. As a judgment because of the Canaanites' wickedness and because he had promised Abraham the father of Israel and God always keeps his promises. And so that was one, destroy the Canaanites. Two, depend on the Lord which God saved the Israelites from Egypt and kept them alive in the wilderness with manna. After witnessing the miracles day after day, they should trust God, right? They should. (laughs) So destroy the Canaanites, depend on the Lord. And the third thing was do not become self-righteous. Never believe that any of these victories were your own doing against the Canaanites or anybody else, that it's God's doing and give God the glory. And we can do that today in our lives too. None of this is about us. We didn't do any of these things. Give the glory to God and God will bless you. Exactly. Well, Moses is not done with his list of what the Israelites must do. So he continues on in chapter nine with this sermon number two, just do it. And in this chapter, he must have been thinking what I was thinking, that if I were an Israelite, I would have started to glaze over from this complicated list of to-dos. But Moses has become a great communicator. So to kick it up a notch and get their attention, he begins the next to-do with a double imperative. A what? From English class, you will remember that there are four types of sentences, declarative or statements, interrogative or questions, exclamatory or exclamations, and imperative, which are commands. Now, or if it's been a long time since you were in English class, you may yes, not remember you it like me. Now you know. <laughs> now you know. It's a reminder. The reason this is exceptional is because Moses is making a double imperative here. It's a double command. In other words, sit up, people. No sleeping in my class. You miss this point and you will fail the whole exam. That's what he's telling the Israelites. And fail, they will. Because last time they made this mistake, God threatened to wipe the Israelites all out and start over with just Moses. The only thing that saved them was Moses begging God. And Moses knows that he won't be there to intercede if they do it again. So he begins with the double imperative, remember this and never forget in chapter nine, here is what you must do. Do not rebel against God like they did at Mount Sinai. Verse seven, remember this and never forget how you arouse the anger of the Lord, your God in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until the day you arrived here, you've been rebellious against the Lord. At Horeb, you aroused the Lord's wrath so that he was angry with you enough to destroy you. When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made with you, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread, drank no water. The Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. At the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord told me, go down from here at once because your people whom you brought out of Egypt 
have become corrupt. They have turned away quickly from what I commanded them and have made an idol for themselves. I probably pointed this out in Exodus, but I can't help saying it again. I just love this personal side of God here because God and Moses are like two parents. The children, the Israelites were misbehaving. So God tells Moses that they are your people, not my people. I do that with my son. Sometimes I'm like, "Uh, can you get your son to my husband? (laughs) Um, Your your son, son. listen to what your son did today. (laughs) You're right. And poor Moses, we know he never asked for these children. God just gave them to him. Now, the root of God's anger stems from the fact that at that very moment, he was giving Moses the Ten Commandments. The people were down there at the base of the mountain violating the foundational first two commandments. Those are, you shall have no other gods and you shall not make images for worshiping. Continuing on in verse 13. And the Lord said to me, I have seen this people and they are a stiff necked people indeed. Let me alone so I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven and I will make you into a nation stronger and more numerous than they. So I turned and went down from the mountain while it was ablaze with fire and the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. When I looked, I saw that you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way the Lord had commanded you. So I took the two tablets and threw them out of my hands, breaking them into pieces before your eyes. Then once again, I fell prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread. I drank no water because of all the sin you had committed doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and so arousing his anger. I feared the anger and wrath of the Lord, for he was angry enough with you to destroy you. But again, the Lord listened to me and the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But at that time, I prayed for Aaron too. Also, I took that sinful thing of yours, the calf you had made, and burned it in the fire. Then I crushed it and ground it into powder as fine as dust and threw the dust into a stream that flowed down the mountain. So a couple of things, you know, Moses here is repeating exactly what happened to this second generation that really never saw it. They just, their parents all saw it. They heard about it. But the breaking of the tablets was not just a reaction of frustration and anger for Moses. It was also traditionally a symbol of a covenant being broken or nullified. You had it written on these tablets and you threw it down saying, okay, no more. Also, what Moses did to the calf, its total destruction, was an example of what God was commanding the Israelites to do with the Canaanite idols when they inhabited the promised land. Continuing in verse 22, you also made the Lord angry at Tabrah, at Massa, and at Kebroth Hatav. And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, he said, go up and take possession of the land I have given you. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord, your God. You did not trust or obey him. You have been rebellious against the Lord ever since I've known you. Moses inserts four other times they rebelled. And you can read all about those in past episodes in Exodus, commenting on the worst of the four. The rebellion after the report of the 12 spies at Kadesh Barnea was the worst. This is where where they should have entered the promised land 40 years ago. And then the consequence was, of course, wandering. Verse 25, I lay prostrate before the Lord those 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. I prayed to the Lord and said, Sovereign Lord, do not destroy your people, your own inheritance that you redeemed by your great power and brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Overlook the stubbornness of this people, their wickedness and their sin. 
Otherwise, the country from which you brought us will say, because the Lord was not able to take them into the land he promised them, and because he hated them, he brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. But they are your people, your inheritance that you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. So here's what he's saying here. Here's what you must do. Remember this and never forget. Do not rebel against God like you did at Mount Sinai. Because if they do, God may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven and make a nation stronger and more numerous than they. Or they may have to wander another 40 years in the wilderness. Who knows? All right. Moses continues this with this same story in chapter 10. At that time, the Lord said to me, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and come up to me on the mountain. Also, make a wooden ark. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Then you are to put them in the ark. So I made the ark out of acacia wood and chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. And I went up on the mountain with the two tablets in my hands. The Lord wrote on these tablets what he had written before. The Ten Commandments he had proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I came back down the mountain and put the tablets in the ark I had made as the Lord commanded me, and they are there now. The Israelites traveled from the wells of B'nai Jachon to Masrah. There Aaron died and was buried, and Eleazar, his son, succeeded him as priest. From there they traveled to Gudgadah and on to Jopanah, a land with streams of water. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister, and to pronounce blessings in his name as they still do today. That is why the Levites have no share or inheritance among their fellow Israelites. The Lord is their inheritance, as the Lord your God told them. Now, I had stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights as I did the first time, and the Lord listened to me at this time also. It was not his will to destroy you. Go, the Lord said to me, and lead the people on their way so that they may enter and possess the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. All right, so here's another what you must do for this command. Remember and never forget how even after you rebelled, God gave you a second chance and a second set of the commandments. Moses reminds the Israelites how to approach God in this when we sin. Moses took on a posture of humility. He literally bowed down. He offset God's disassociation with the people by reminding God and stating boldly to him that these are your people, your own inheritance. God responded by relenting and commanded them once more to go and possess the land he swore to Abraham. Now note for us, this is a reminder to us that prayer has power. God hears and responds to our posture of humility and sincere prayer. His will is his will and his will will be done. How our prayers play into his will in each circumstance is a mystery. And we don't always get the answer that we want, but we will find peace in his will when it's revealed. Okay, moving on to our next. Here is what you must do. Fear and love the Lord. Now, this is kind of cool. So stay with me here. In chapter 10, verse 12 through 1132, 
these verses resemble and kind of mimic chapter four, verses one through 40. And here's how. The use of the word now to start the verse, the first verse in each of these, is a hint that Moses is reaching a climax to his sermon, just as he did back in chapter four, one. So we have these two sections and one begins with now and one begins with and now. And so it's kind of telling us that they're kind of tied together. I'm going to show you how. In 4.1, Moses said, Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Six chapters later, where we are now, Moses says, And And now, Israel. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. So let's tie it together. What does the Lord require of Israel? Did you recognize the Shema from episode four in what Heather just read? The Shema is the prayer that the Jews still repeat today. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So what does Moses want Israel to do? Now stay with me. In chapter four, Moses said, now Israel, learn these laws. In this chapter, Moses said, and now Israel, fear, obey, love, and serve God with all your heart, soul, and observe these laws. Moses just completed a circle back to the law. It is, after all, Moses's life work. The law, or Torah, as it is called, is Moses's life work. Moses is telling the Israelites that there is no secret here. His recipe for faith is very clear. The law plus the Shema equals faith and favor with God. That's it. Did you get that? Yes, I do think that it is putting a heavy yoke on the Israelites, something that is complicated and difficult for them to even learn and then execute. And that's the reason that we needed Jesus. And remember what we talked about last time. He ties it all together. Jesus does in the first and second greatest commandment. When he connected them. Exactly. My Bible bender from last episode. Yeah, it was so good. All right. Moses's recipe for faith and favor is this. Specifically, Moses listed five verbs that are requirements fear or revere God. Now, I want you to remember that because this word is interpreted more as an awe or reverence for God, which is also fear too, but it adds not ex- being scared. Exactly. It is sometimes because you have such a reverence for him. You're in so such awe of him that you're like, oh, you know, I got it. I got to do this for him. So it's a little bit different. Okay. So fear God, walk in God's ways, love God, serve God, observe God's laws. Those were the five verbs he used. Now, these five verbs also form an if-then pattern. If you fear God, you will walk in his ways. If you love God, you will serve him and observe his laws. So what does the Lord require of us? The same. Old Testament or new, we are to fear or revere God, walk in his ways, love God, serve God, and obey God's laws. Remember what we discovered in episode four from Matthew 22. Jesus used the Shema and combined it with Leviticus 19.18 to create the first and second greatest commandments. Jesus replied to the Pharisees, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, remember another 
word for the law is Torah. All the Torah and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If we love God, we will love others. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if we love God and others, the rest of the commandments in the Bible fall into place as a priority for us also. Okay, Moses continues with verse 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. All right, Moses mentions fear again. And I want to address this because uh, a lot of people don't like to think of God as somebody to be feared. I remember, let's expand a little bit on the word. It really means like fear, revere, awe. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, there was no fear. Man and God walked together. They talked together. There was nothing to be afraid of. Since the fall, the sin we contend with requires that we learn to obey or suffer the consequences of sin. It's a totally different dynamic between us and God. That's why we needed Jesus. Now, Moses is teaching two motivations for doing the right thing. One of the motivations is fear and one is love. What Moses teaches is insight from God, the creator of our innermost being. He knows what motivates us. God is like a loving parent who wants to protect us because he loves us. So here's some insight on how God, our father, created us to move from fear to love. Now, I learned this lesson. This is kind of just a Susan aside from um, an attachment therapist when I adopted two older children. I never really thought about this, um, this process of parenting that kind of moves from fear to love. But I want to share it with you because it makes uh, it gives us great insight into why Moses is talking so much about fear and love together. We spent some time with this therapist who was trying to help me out, trying to help me help our children. Um, Our kids were nine and 13 when we adopted them. So they had had a whole life before us. I was trying to bond with them or form a connection of love and trust, but they often disobeyed. So for their protection, I had to create consequences because, for example, you know, if if they um, if they left the neighborhood on their bike, um, I had to say to them, which was dangerous because I never knew where they were. Uh, I had to say, okay, you you can't ride your bike anymore without an adult to watch you, even though you're well old enough to do that. So I was constantly have, having to face this disobedience and have consequences. And I felt like the constant correction was getting in the way of our bonding. But the therapist said that as little people, when we're children, our desire is for ourselves. And there's this process 
process of learning that someone else um, can care for us, whether we like it or not. And that's what moves us from fear to love. And if a child doesn't have that, you have to go back and go through those steps. She also said that while the lesson begins with parents, its final destination is loving God. So while at first you teach this as a parent, they move from wanting to do it with the parent to the to, to loving God. Let me give you an example because I'm sure I've confused you. So th- this is the lesson from attachment therapy on obedience and how we progress from fear to love as a child. These are the steps that a child goes through as they learn to do this. So pretend I'm a child. I see a toy. I want a toy. I take the toy from my little sister. This is the impulse of a small child. Then they go from that to, I see the toy, I want it, I take it from my little sister, and my parents correct me with a consequence. So they learn a lesson there. Okay, this is going to happen every time I do this. Next, they go to, I see the toy, I want it, I don't take it, I obey because I fear the consequence. They don't want whatever happens. Then they move to, I see the toy, I want it, I don't take it, I obey because I want to please my parents whom I love and who get very upset when I fight with my sister. So they're starting to add reason there. Then they move to, I see the toy, I want it, I don't take it, I obey because I have learned that God says it is wrong for me to be unkind to my sister. Then they move to, I see the toy, I want it, I don't take it, I obey because I want to please God, whom I love and who wants me to love others. So you do you kind of see that progression? You go from doing it for simple reason, like I don't want a consequence to I have learned through this whole process of my parents teaching me that this is this is a commandment from God. Now, I was told by the counselor that the steps in this process are progressive and that you can't skip a level. You, as a child, have to systematically learn these things. It is the way we are taught to obey, moving from obedience out of fear of correction to obedience because we love, which is exactly what Moses is trying to do with the Israelites. He's trying to move them from doing it out of fear because they're going to get this consequence like wandering the wilderness to, hey, if you just love me with your heart, soul, and mind, you're going to do it out of love. Now, once learned, the lesson serves us well our entire life, especially into adulthood, where the freedoms and temptations are so much greater. For example, the 10th commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or husband. So if you have not learned to obey out of love for God and love for others, you see the guy, you want the guy, and you have an affair with the guy. If you have learned to obey out of love, you see the guy, you want the guy, but you do not have an affair. You obey God because you love God and he has commanded you to love your husband as yourself. Does that, that was a lot. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. It's just hard to do. Like, I don't even think my kids have ever moved past the part where they (laughs) even fear the consequence sometimes. So maybe I'm a bad mom. I don't know. It's hard. It takes repetitive teaching. It's hard for us as adults to remember why we must do what what we should do because we love God and we want to honor him. And that's why he says the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Because if we did, he would always be first, not well, us, I not think ourselves. There's also that element where it's hard to judge your own heart even, let alone somebody else's heart. So it kind of speaks to us saying, 
what is my own motivation here? Yes. Is my motivation really that I'm just fearing the consequence? Because if, if that's it, then maybe I need to do a little bit of work with my relationship with God. Or is my motivation truly I want to please God? And you might slip up sometimes and then, you know, get back on the path, which is a, a printable that we've talked about many times on this podcast. But I think that it would be a good time for us to stop and take stock of our own hearts and say, what is our motivation in whatever it is we're struggling with right now? Is it the consequence or is it truly that we love God and we just want to please him now? Exactly. Or are we brushing it all under the rug and pretending like it's nothing? Because it's always going to, it's just would. making a big old pile under that rug exactly. that you're going to have to get out later. Exactly. It's something to think about. And it and it really is, you know, some, you can say, oh, this is a therapist, this is psychology, but God knows how we were created. And right here in the very beginning in the Torah, he's talking to us, fear and love, fear and love, fear and love. Moses is reiterating with them. It, it is very basic when you, when you boil it all down. Okay. Moving on to chapter 11. Here is what you must do. Love and obey the Lord. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God, his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, and the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country. What he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place and what he did to Dathan and Abram, sons of Eliab, the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done." Moses is once again reminding the people to tell their children of their history with God. I think he's hoping that they never have to repeat it. How God crushed Pharaoh and his army to free them. How God sustained them in the wilderness for 40 years. How God judged Dathan and Abiram who rebelled and tried to overthrow Moses. That was such an interesting story in number 16. You can check it out in season four, episode eight. Moses wants the people to remember to tell their children. Verse 8, Observe, therefore, all the commands I am giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, and so that you may live long in the land the Lord swore to your ancestors to give them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you're crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land with mountains and valleys that drinks rain from the heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of this year to the end. So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rain, so that you may gather in your grain, new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut up the heavens so it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. 
Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. This is the second time that Moses has exhorted the Israelites with these words about teaching them to their children. The first, I think, was in chapter six. But he says, teach these words, talk about them as a family all day, every day. Put reminders where you will see them. This is so convicting to me because, you know, my kids, I used to have this chalkboard. I still do in my front hall, but it was in my kitchen and I write a verse every week. We had a verse a week. They had to memorize it, you know, but my oldest didn't get a phone until she could drive 16. And now I think now kids get phones so young that would they even see a verse written on a chalkboard at their kitchen table or are they always looking at their phone. Um, and so is that just, you know, we? I love the fact that we can curate our own content. Like we can set our phones up so we see just what we want to see on our social channels, in the news, whatever. But on the other hand, are we allowing our kids to curate their own content? And is God getting curated out? Well, you can encourage your kids to do things like set up the verse of the day on your version right. app or something like that. But so do they that, see that, it? That contact content is coming to them. Right. But do they see it as a family? Is Are we putting it in front of them? Have we lost a little bit of the control? And is that just a plot of the enemy to, you know, to get distraction in front of them instead of, instead of like this, um, you know, where, where they'll see it? Well, is it a plot of the enemy to get distraction in front of us too? Because yeah, the same exactly. thing could be true of us. True. Verse 22. If you carefully observe all these commands I'm giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land wherever you go. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today, and the curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I commanded you today by following other gods, which you have not known. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerzim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan, westward, toward the setting sun, near the great trees of Morah in the territory of those Canaanites living in the Arba, in, in the vicinity of Gilgal. You are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you have taken it over and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws I am setting before you today. Follow the commands, love God, walk in obedience, and the promise and its blessing will be yours. Well, Israel failed to be obedient. We're going to read more about that coming up in Joshua and beyond. And but, we do too. But so do we. Exactly. The difference is this. We have an intercessor greater than Moses. We have Jesus Christ who intercedes for us, which means there is grace and forgiveness when we fail. What does the Lord require of us? It's still to fear God, obey God, love God. But I love this comparison we're going to read in Paul in Hebrews 12. Paul is going to compare Mount Sinai and the Israelites 
to Mount Zion and us, starting in Hebrews 12, chapter 18. You have not come to a mountain, Sinai, that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear, but you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they, the Israelites, did not escape when they refused him, Moses, who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. We started this episode. Stay with me here. This is cool. We started this episode with a double imperative or command from Moses to the Israelites to remember and never forget. And here is our imperative command from Paul. He says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Worship him in reverence and awe. The word awe is also translated godly fear. He's saying almost exactly what Moses did. Fear God, obey God, love God. Why? Because we have so much more than the Israelites had. We have come to Mount Zion, not that scary Mount Sinai that trembled and quaked and was full of fire. We've come to Zion, a mountain of hope and joy, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Thank God. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. Club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.